We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Time to do what we do best on the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Celebrate the things we got right. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yank and Gunner. Okay, we've got a fun concept today because it is the interlull. And during the interlull, there's not always the most topical stuff to go over. So what we're going to do is we are going to talk about controversial or unpopular, or in my case, uh, opinions that made people very angry, takes that we have had in the last year, and we're going to cover one that we still feel we were right about in retrospect, and one that we think we got wrong, or at least trending to get wrong. Now, obviously, because this has a section about stuff we got wrong, Clive is not here, uh, because he doesn't get anything wrong. So we were like, do you want to be on? And he's like, mate, I'd I'd love to be. But uh, first of all, I'm doing the Arse cast, because I'm kind of a big deal. And second of all, I didn't get anything wrong, so I don't feel that it would be in the spirit of the idea of the episode. So fair enough, but I am here. I could do the what we got wrong section all by myself, but I'm not going to do it by myself. I'm going to be joined by Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. All right, Tim, do you do you think you'll be able to come up with something you got wrong? That is really the the uh, <laughs> most important question of the day. Do, do you know what? I, I, I have got something that, that I might have got wrong, although the jury's still out. But what I realized when you kind of sent me the, the, the concepts for this is I, do, I don't really have that many controversial opinions, I don't think. I have some opinions mm. I hold strongly, but um, yeah, I, I don't think I really do hot takes or struggling to think of some. Yeah. Um, but I, I've got a couple of, of what I think are good ones. Well, 
they don't have to be hot takes, right? They can just be mm-hmm. stuff that you, in retrospect, weren't right about, right? Um, I think it's been an interesting year, and it, it's definitely ripe for this kind of analysis because we had a year where it was really bad, and then it started to get good, right? And when that happens, mm-hmm. you can wind up with very disparate opinions about things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, okay, so I think what we can do now is dive in and and before we dive in just real quick um paul is going to join us he's just going to join us mid pod is what it looks like he is literally finishing up getting vaccinated so very happy for paul and i should add by the way i hope oh paul you are here (laughs) you are literally already here paul's on twitter pause my pants i'll pause wow i mean how was the vaccine situation man congrats uh, good. Uh, yeah, I'm supposed to be in the observation room, but mm. I'm like, nah, I'll be fine. Yeah. Plus, my uh, lights were blinking. Plus, there was a podcast on, so I'm like, screw it. I'll go home and do my observation online with several thousand people listening. Yeah. If any, if I keel over, you'll all know. So, well, here, here's the point: the, the people listening will know later because they will be listened to and after I publish it, they will not be of much use to you. Tim and I, of course, will rush to your aid unless we're in the middle of a really good point, in which case, just give us a minute, okay? Yeah, blazing yeah. And, argument, and then you get back to me. Try and land on your microphone. That <laughs> yeah. obvious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you just go quiet, I'll assume you muted and forgot to unmute or something. It'd take ages. Lost um, and I. All right, well, wherever you are listening to this, I hope you're doing well. Maybe you've been fortunate enough to get vaccinated, or if not, you know, just staying healthy and well, and things are going okay in your life uh, through all of this. And hopefully, um, you know, you'll stick with us through the interlow. I, I think we'll have a lot of good stuff for you. But this this should be fun, and I'm excited to do it. And uh, in a bonus part of this, when we get to the break, I will be able to tell you the things that I got right about manscaping and the things I got wrong about manscaping. And you definitely don't want to miss that. So, uh, Tim, since you're on and you're here let's start of course with the thing you're best at that's getting it right what is an opinion you held that maybe wasn't one that people were thrilled with at the time that you in retrospect feel you got right okay so i i might have had the brief slightly wrong here because mm-hmm. this is this is one where i think i will be proven right in time oh okay uh, so so you're whereas, still projecting that you're going to be right despite yes. having not been proven right yet fair enough yes. that's bold and i yeah, like it yeah <laughs> so um i was actually thinking of things that um yeah that well i'm not so maybe not controversial but anyway so my my um my thing that i think i'll be proven right about in time is that i still don't think cedric suarez is very good mm. um and let me give you my rationale for that now i admit um, so I, I want to take out his performances at left back because that's not really his position. And I think he did fine. And we all know that we don't really want him there on a on a long term basis. And he was fine. And there's nothing, you know, nothing to hold against him there whatsoever. I also think he's been fine at right back um, when he's played recently. But I still think if we had Cedric playing right back for, say, 10, 15, 20 games, I think it would come out that he's not that good. And by that, I don't mean that he's an absolute disaster zone or terrible, but I think we'd see him as the guy that Southampton were quite willing to let go. I think that um, his performances at right back so far, while fine recently, have been quite overblown 
because people are a bit sick of Hector. Mm. And when that happens to a player, whoever comes in for them, all they have to do is turn up and not fall over several times and everyone will say they're wonderful. And I kind of think that's what's happened with Cedric, um, which is, again, not to say that I think he's played badly. I think Mm. he's been six, seven out of ten. But because people don't like Hector anymore that's coming out as oh he's brilliant he must play he's so much better and i don't think he is and i think that that would come out in the wash in time now the other thing to say is i'm not necessarily saying let's definitely sell him get rid of him he's rubbish like if he's our backup right back let's say we sell bellerin this summer Arsenal definitely, definitely need to buy a very good right-back if they do that because Cedric, in my view, cannot be our first-choice right-back. Kind of fine with him as our second-choice right-back. Um, we don't need to go over the contract, etc., etc., because I don't think any of us love that. But, yeah, on, on a long-term basis, this is, so I guess this is more of a projection prediction than something I got right, but I, I just think Cedric is pretty average and people will see that in time well we're steaming into a possible opportunity to see that hopefully not but possibly because i think arteta has some really interesting decisions to make at fullback well right back in the coming big games i mean he's got a quarterfinal in europe that hopefully we'll get through which would lead to a potentially tricky Villarreal semi-final and then potentially the trickiest of all uh, potentially united in the final not to mention liverpool coming up and chelsea coming up and everton coming up and if Bellerin's out of favor, he's now talking about maybe picking Chambers on the basis of one and a half good performances or Cedric. And if he decides to pick Cedric, we're going to see how he performs in some pressure spots. I mean, Paul, before we get to, to one that you really feel strongly about, um, I mean, Tim's Tim's theory is going to get borne out here, and we're, we're going to have to probably root for him to be wrong because my guess is that Cedric will wind up getting a lot of run in some really big games in the upcoming weeks, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I've I've a response and a question, which is um, it seems like Tim's saying a lot of the reaction is over overwrought. The question is, did he, if you like, did he fulfill his remit as a backup uh, fullback? It it feels yep. to me like he's going to. Um, and then the other piece I thought was interesting was the deal part of it. Like I've cooled in my ardor uh, which got ardor and ardor at one point um, <laughs> regarding Cedric's deal um, in that it might be an alright deal despite where it came from and how it came about uh, now maybe I'm missing something there because I haven't thought about it for a little while but just like emotionally I've kind of settled into you know what in hindsight so when you think of Sven Mislintan talking about why we went and bought the players we did under him it's clear that even a Sven Mislintat, now you can critique his performance or whatever, and you can say, well, who was he reporting to and what was the remit for those guys? But you can see that he didn't always think you had to buy a 23-year-old, right? And there's a role for the, uh, what was the name of the fellow we got? The uh, Licksteiner. Licksteiner, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he said, you know, Socrates look, he was a defensive fullback who was there yeah. to kind of teach our more attacking fullbacks how to defend in, in training and have leadership. And, like, I guess if you want to accept that you're bringing in a guy who isn't even meant to play for you, <laughs> that's, yeah, it did you know, sound like that. Then couldn't you hire him on a coaching contract like, yeah. for a lot less? Yeah, so? it did sound like that. I think he was probably leaning into it a little. But, yeah. like, here's, here's Cedric, and you can say, 
Um, okay, he hasn't. It, it's different, right? He's not a Licksteiner. He hasn't won at all. He's not from Juventus. He's not at the end of his career. He, he'd still like to play a bit. He can play on both sides. There are rationales for why you bring in, and maybe for a new young manager trying to build some balance, maybe a Cedric was the right kind of a choice at the right price at that point we got him in didn't we get him in a january window on a loan but a a promise to buy i mean i don't looking back on it i gotta say and i I wouldn't like to be caught saying this out in public i don't hate it i i think it probably they might have done okay on this one well i i I think you can look at it definitely if you want to look at it through the lens of process i think it's an insanely bad move in the sense that we brought a guy in on loan who's not mm-hmm. cheap by the standards of a wage for a fullback, who's late in his career. The loan was an abject failure. The guy didn't play. We what signed him we, anyway. I'm, I'm because not arguing, of, yeah. but, but what, a, what do we think the wage is, just for a reference point? Well, if we assume, I think he was on something like 50 at Southampton, I think was reported, and we got to assume he didn't take less. I mean, I mean yeah. maybe he did. But anyway, here, just hear me out for one okay. second. I think what I'm sure, saying sure. is you loan the guy. The loan is bad. You're cozy with his agent, and you sign him up to a long-term deal into the you know, the dotage of his career off the mm. be- back of not having seen him play for you. Process-wise, I don't know that you want to repeat that. Um, and then is you send Niles away. you just because hate got the people seven. who did it? Well, again, I mean, I don't trust that process – you for a variety of reasons. People. I don't trust people. You're right. But I also think the process itself, like, again, at the time when we loaned him, Maitland-Niles was in the wilderness. By the time we gave him the new deal, Maitland-Niles had just played excellently for us a lot during Project Restart in the cup run. So it was safe yeah, to presume. Yeah, but there were issues with yeah, Maitland-Niles, right. and we know it. We don't need to relitigate it. I get your point. Your point is it's worked out fine. My point is I think... It probably has worked out okay from a backup standpoint. I, I agree with Tim that we could be in the tricky position of him having to play more now as a first choice and get found mm. out, which I hope doesn't happen, obviously. Um, and I see your point that maybe my, my process arguments are related to the people, but I don't want to bog down there. It, I want to move on to yours. Tim, you want to you finish that off? I, I just wanted to say if Bellerin and Maitland-Niles both go and we buy a, a new right back, then, yeah, I think it, it's worked out for the purpose. Um, maybe not the purpose that was it was initially there for, um, but, yeah, it probably worked out. And, and I guess uh, just to tie in with this really quickly and to be in the spirit of the actual question um, about a prediction I got right, um, you know, because I, um, I did a recording about this when we hired Edu, I did say that when we got Edu, we would end up with a lot of Kia Jarabchian players, mm. which I think I can safely say has been borne out. Yeah, I think that was an easy layup for you. And by the way, I, I probably phrased this wrong in the intro. The way I said it to you uh, behind the scenes is more accurate, which is what is a, 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 a prediction you made that maybe wasn't popular that you still feel right about? So it doesn't have to have been proven right, because mine is not proven right. Uh, I didn't have any that have been proven right, so I didn't have much to pick from. But uh, no, it's that you still feel they're right, and the ones that haven't necessarily been proven wrong, but you feel are now trending towards maybe having been wrong. So um, let's, Paul, let's move on to one that you think... By the way, I am recording... uh, I I am fortunate enough to have traveled to to visit my family in Florida, having not seen them in ages. My parents getting to see their grandkids, which is great. Uh, Having said that, it's not my usual setup. So if the sound's a little off, or if, um, you know, I I sound like I'm struggling, it's probably because some combination of cat, parent, child, 
partner, something like that has, has barged into the room, but it's, it's all good. We'll, we'll push on. Uh, Paul, you have, you have decided to do this at great peril to yourself. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't make it all about me. How, um, how about you give us something that you predicted that maybe wasn't popular, which can just mean you and I thought about it, uh, that you still feel right about. Um, so I'm happy to take suggestions from you guys. Cause like, as I look across my opinions, I think they're all good mm. still. I, I feel the same way about <laughs> but, your opinions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the, I think the m- most important principle I argued about, even if it wasn't apparent, was the whole: if you haven't rewatched the game, your opinion is for shit thing. And um, now I think there are some exceptions to that. If you happen to be Adrian Clark, or maybe Clive, or Tim, who's watched a thousand games, um, you know, live. Well, probably how many games have you watched live, Tim? Oh, Lord knows. Um, yeah thousands <laughs> probably so, yeah so you you know there, there are the those with the expert eyes it actually be interesting to get tim's take on this because you're too busy to re-watch every game right tim uh nowadays yes but i yeah. i don't disagree with you at all what the, the games i do re-watch uh, one of the reasons i don't have the time to re-watch is because i re-watch the women's games for mm. articles i do and I, I completely agree once you take the emotion out you yeah. you see shit that you didn't see the first Can time I ask you a question still. tim though i've because it, it's it goes to the same vein i've been dying to know this from you is now that you're home and you can just watch the game instead of being at the ground with all the things going on around you do you find yourself more distracted by nonsense like Twitter and the house and stuff like that so you see less of the game from home? Or do you feel you absorb no. more of the game watching home? Wh- which venue better suits taking in more of the details of the game? So, um, like, uh, the experience home and away is different. Away, you take in less. You're sitting in worse seats. You drink more. It's more of a day out. <laughs> so, <great>. away games... <laughs> when do we start? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> away games... Don't ask me about like tactical innovations at away games and things like that afterwards. Um, I I will see very little, and it's and it's a lot more raw and emotional. Home games, um, different story, better seats, slightly more docile. Um, so yeah, but but I mean, watching from home, I I don't get that distracted. No, I I am able to absorb the game uh, at, at least as well as if I was inside the stadium. Mm, yeah. So it doesn't sound like a controversial opinion, right? But it leads to controversy because I find myself arguing with people who haven't rewatched a game, and I, fe- I, therefore feel more strongly about whatever it is. I feel strongly. I mightn't be right, but I feel more strongly about it. Uh, I've got my reason. You, you just like summed up society today, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody feels more strongly, but may not be right. <laughs> you read the highlights of some study, therefore you think you have facts. It is not necessarily you're right. So, it, and of course it ends up, like remember the Kolasinac uh, battles when when he we'd all agreed he was shit, and then he had a game that I thought he was good and nobody else did. And then the game after that I think was Man City, and he was actually half decent. Uh, he was stepping up. He was playing in a three-man at the back. And everybody's like, oh, hang on a second. That wasn't too bad. And then the game... So, And then I step forward and I'm like, you see, I told you so. You wouldn't listen. And then the game after that, he turns into an absolute turd. And that was pretty <laughs> close to the end of his career. Yeah. But my point being, 
I find the controversy comes from my kind of strong opinions I develop, some of which are right and wrong, um, uh, based on the fact that once you rewatch something, you see different stuff. And, and like the last game, West Ham, right? I couldn't have told you how Declan Rice played even after the second rewatch. I had to do a third rewatch to see what the hell West Ham were up to half the time. It, it amazes me what I don't see. You know that uh, that um, thing, this psychological study where they have a bunch of people throwing a ball on a stage and they tell you to count the number of times the ball is thrown and it's some people are wearing white and some people are wearing black and there's a video of it on YouTube and then they ask you afterwards how many times did the ball get switched back and forward and then they ask you what color was the gorilla and like <laughs> you say what gorilla and what you don't notice is wandering between these people about halfway through it some fella in a gorilla suit starts wandering around <laughs> you don't see him because you're not looking for it and you look at it the next time you're like holy shit there's a guy in a gorilla suit mm -hmm. it's on youtube you, you know what you know a more uh, maybe uh pop culture version of this i watched the movie tenet and i thought it was an absolute dumpster fire mess of nonsense <laughs> that i hated and then I watched it a second time, unburdened by needing to like figure it out, and yeah. loved it. It was a yeah. really good movie. Once you stop trying to figure it out, I'd, look, watching the games right now has a really big problem for me, uh, which thankfully isn't that we're unwatchable. That that ended around Boxing Day, but mm -hmm. it's that if you're on social media, there is groupthink that develops, and there are moments that get litigated in real time on social media, and as a result, those moments in that groupthink starts to become the zeitgeist, right? It starts to become the prevailing narrative of the game. Then you rewatch the game, and you're like, oh, that was just a moment. It turns out there were tons of other things that happened. Like, I know you're going to hate yeah. to hear this. Watch the second half of the West Ham game, and Aubameyang was fine. Like, he was fine. He wasn't I, and I said he was awful. He wasn't. He was fine. Yeah. Just watch it again, and I mean, a lot of people say, oh, you're out of your mind. I just watched it again. And I'm telling yeah. you, the, the the narrative and then the reality are different yeah. things when you see it. So I, I agree with you there, Paul. Um, should yeah, we move yeah. on? Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'll say one other mm -hmm. thing. It was, it was funny. I had this uh, argument with this guy. He was a uh, one of those season ticket holders. I hate them. They're the worst. And he's like, getting <laughs> yeah, they're the worst. And I, this was a couple of years ago. But he was saying that I didn't know nothing. Uh, it, the implication was not a proper fan because I, I couldn't and didn't go to the game. To be fair, he was right about that, but for the wrong reason. Yeah, he was. He, he had a point there, but I wasn't conceding it. <laughs> and we were arguing about some stupid shit in the game. And he was like, but you won't have seen what I've seen. And I'm like, but you won't have seen what I've seen. And he's like, well, I can watch the game when I when I come home. And I said, well, you might, you might not. But the, by the time you've got home, I've watched it twice. I've watched all the video. I've heard all the pundits of blah, blah, blah. Whereas you're stuck on a train coming back from a game. You may never actually watch that much more than what you see live. So I do actually think the amount of information that's available, like optimum is you see the game live. You have that perspective. You can watch video. You can see the coverage. But it's amazing as well for scouting players like if you talk a part look at a party or whatever you can mm. you can get out there and watch a few games and have a really good understanding of a player before he comes to the club which is what's amazed amazed me really how much the players we brought in in the last season or two kind of kind of play like i expected them to do after having gone and had a look at them i've been i guess i'm a bit in awe of how and your average Joe 
can do a bit of research and get a good feeling for players or a game. Um, I just wish I could do a first time around well, like a, yeah, I'd say a, an Adrian Clark or a Stuart Robson. They just have, I, I know I said the word Stuart Robson, but he's, I think Tim agrees with me on this. He's actually a really good analyst. He just hates he's just a bit negative. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Look, the, the one thing that, that football needs the NFL has something called the all 22 camera and yeah. it's the greatest thing in the world if you want to analyze the NFL yeah. it's a camera angle where you can see all 22 players Tim the biggest advantage you have at the ground I can only see what the camera angle shows me and at some grounds it's particularly difficult because of the angle so you may not realize how much work off the ball players doing or the genius of their off the ball movement mm-hmm. or how great Obama Yang's runs are if the ball is mired in our defensive third or middle third because you can't see it we need an all 22 camera where I can see all the players. So when I rewatch, I can see that, that choreography because you really miss it. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, also sometimes like, so I, I sit at the Emirates, I sit in the East stand. And so I'd always say, um, I, I'm not going to talk about how good my seat is again. Uh, cause actually I can see everything. <laughs> no, no mate, we got it. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, um, but what I'd say as well is like I I'd, I have a much better impression of how the winger and the fullback are playing when they're on my side because mm-hmm. I can basically hear them speaking to each other and I can see them gesturing at each other. So like when we attack the north bank end, the right winger and the right back, I've got a really well, yeah, usually back in the days when I could go, like I had a really good idea of how those guys were doing. And in the first half, the left back and the left winger and the left side of the team, I had like a much, much better kind of idea. I, I think the other thing we don't realize when I think that the other angle on this, because um, sorry, because I think this is an interesting discussion, the kind of being there versus watching on Hopefully TV. Hopefully people agree with you. Mm. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, indeed. <laughs> the proof will be in the pudding. Yeah. The, the third really, really good um, angle on this, I think, is whether you play. Mm. Um, and I think that gives you a really different perspective because we look at it almost like a computer game. Like some of the stuff that these players do when you're like on ground level, you don't have any sort of panorama and like you get the ball and there's two guys up your ass and there's a guy like 35 yards. Like we take for granted because we yeah. can see it on, on camera that David Louise can spot a Bamiyang like 60 yards away yep. when he's got someone closing him down. And, and actually when you play, play you understand how difficult that is and particularly if you play 11 aside and you're so fucking knackered you can't see straight and the ball comes to you and you're like oh do, do you know what i just want to get rid of it as quickly as possible so i'm yeah, just gonna it's like pretend- trees in a wood isn't it and, yeah and like they yeah, yeah. pick up uh, like luis in the last game against west ham i i don't know if we covered that at all in the pod but some of the passes he picks out straight up to the front line had me thinking about that. I, I mean, it's just how does he see it? I mean, it looks clear enough to me, but from where he's standing, well, this like, is where I think there's a it's danger. It's almost instinctual. I'd yeah. almost disagree slightly with you, Tim, only in the sense that I have long held the belief that pro sports, all of them, football, basketball, you know, hockey, tennis, whatever you want to do, the level of training, physical fitness, yeah, supreme yeah, talent yeah, yeah. has has brought, risen to a level now, and this wasn't even true probably thirty years ago, but today. I don't think you can even say that what some people have done at non-league level or you know whatever level you play oh, no, college no. level is even the same sport at some no, point no, no, as what these guys are doing. Not, you know? But you you have an appreciation of the difficulty. Oh yeah, oh, oh, yeah. and just like yeah, <laughs> but just like the literally um, not even Seeing like the pass. Uh, 
yeah yeah exactly like the the vision that is the thing that gets me the most because it's like everything is just a blurry dot yeah, they're it's at like ground level it's hard to see like, when you yeah. have a camera three you know three stories up and they're seeing it from ground yeah. level through all the players it's insane but you know this is also where training and like jugged position and all that stuff becomes so important knowing where your teammates are going to be and trusting them to be there so you don't always have to see them and that that leads into where tactics and training actually help. So let's let's do this. Let's get to the section everybody's been dying for, which is my thing I got right uh, because, let's face it, it's slim pickings. No, I, I think I get some things right. Um, again, this is a thing that I think, I think I will wind up being right about, not that I'm already right or that I want to be right, but uh, I felt pretty strongly this summer that it was a mistake to give Aubameyang a contract, to re-sign him. And I think... And I realize I'm leaning into some bias that is very new based on the North London Derby and all that. I, I, I am not relating it to that. Um, I, I think I'm still going to wind up being right about that. Here's my point. When this contract expires, he is going to leave on a free. We're not going to be able to sell this guy. He's on superstar mega wages, 300000 a week, You know, at 31 going on 32 years old. No one's going to buy that guy. Okay, you know, much in the same way that people kept saying, oh, we'll find someone to buy Ozil. Well, we didn't find anyone to buy Ozil. We're not going to find anyone to buy Aubameyang um, because, you know, it's just a bad investment for obvious reasons. You always give a player a contract for what he's going to do, not what he's done before. We paid Aubameyang like what we could expect the next three seasons is what he's done the last three seasons. Well, already in season one, we're not going to get that from him. Now that, ironically, I don't think he's playing terribly. In fact, since Boxing Day, his expected goals per 90 is 0.72, which is really elite, really good. Um, you know, near the top of the league. There's only one or two players that are doing better than that. So that's great. Um, but I think, imagine the position the club would be in if he was leaving on a free this summer and we could refresh at that position and all those wages to hand out and we could give Odegaard a big transfer fee and wage to keep him and we could play Martinelli there more going into next season. And if we want, we could let Lacazette stay and, and play out his contract and have those two up front. Again, not that he's a, a, a star himself, or we could go get an Otis and Edward or someone like that. I think that position is going to need to be refreshed. But we have ourselves in this tricky spot now where we have a low-touch, get-him-behind striker who's still very good, if not super elite anymore. And he's going to be here two more seasons into his dotage on big wages which means there's going to be a lot of pressure to use him and continue to build around him. When what we probably need to be doing now is getting ready to move away from him at the end of this season and refresh at that position. And I think having him on that contract clearly is going to prevent that from happening. I am actually more bullish on the way he's playing right now than I think is popular in the moment. I think we have overreacted to a couple big misses and the discipline thing in the Derby. But You're here. But Tim despite the fact that I actually am more bullish on the way he's playing. Look, when he plays center forward, he, get, he gets chances. That's what he's supposed to do. But as we've seen with Lacazette to some extent, maybe this is a team that would be better with a little more of a high-touch player there. We see City moving away from having a striker altogether. Maybe you know Pepe could even play there. Martinelli could even play there. I think it's possible. But with Aubameyang on those wages in this team, there's always going to be a pressure to build around him. So do you feel, having seen the way he's played this season and contemplating another couple of seasons into what will probably be a slight decline, if not a major decline, that that this continues to look like maybe the wrong move to have, to have kept him on board? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. Um, I, 
I wrote about um, Aubameyang today, actually, and, and it forced me to reflect on like my position last summer, which I, I said was kind of neutral. I could see good and bad in in every um, in every outcome, but my preferred outcome was just to keep him for till the end of his contract, which would have ended this summer, and just let him go on a free. Like you say, we're going to lose him on a free anyway, um, just in two years' time. And I felt you know we'd probably get one. Well, I felt certainly we'll get one good season out of him, and in doing that, we might lose like a good season or half a good season when he's 32 um but you know kind of live with that um but look undeniably he, he's got nine premier league goals this season two of which penalties seven goals from open play however much you think that's his fault or the fault of the system or blah 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 that that is still a big underperformance in what is supposed to be the best year <laughs> of the contract and he's going to have to do a hell of a lot towards the end of this season to justify the salary we've got him on this year like he's going to have to pull um he's going to have to do what he did in the FA Cup last season but in the Europa League that would that would make it worth it for this season at this point because in the Premier League puts us on his back in the Europa League and gets us in the Champions League it's all bets are off because then it was worth it right there arguably exactly but like in Premier League terms there's very little he can do now i think um to to really justify that outlay um and yeah and and that doesn't have to be personal against him you can think that's all the manager's fault but it's still it's still there that we're paying all this money for a guy who's got seven goals from open play this season well, and, so, and, and tim yeah you nailed it. look let's say he had 40 goals from open play but we were ninth you could still say it was yeah, a yeah. mistake because ultimately yep. you can say if you're giving someone 300000 a week into their 31-year-old season and you're mid-table, then you're probably at the beginning stage of a project and you probably don't want a striker who's going to be 32 next season. Uh, Paul, I'll let you weigh in on this. And again, I want to be clear. I think the narrative has swung too much to he's bad. He's not bad. And as I said, his post-boxing day expected goals is elite. He still gets chance. When you play him at center forward, he gets chances. Does he need to start knocking off some of those annoying misses? Yes, but... You know, ultimately, he is a guy who ma- usually matches his XG, and I'm sure he will again. But but what I would say, Paul, is ultimately, which which hypothetical puts us in a better situation as a club? Aubameyang takes us wherever he can take us this season and then leaves on a free. Or Aubameyang is here another two seasons with all that goes with that, the pressure to play him, the huge money he's on, the wages we can't give elsewhere, and still leaves on a free at the end of that. I don't, I don't really see how that's better than if he was just wrapping it up here so paul i mean do you do you have a different perspective possibly i guess i don't think there were any great options at the end of the day i think we've we've way overpaid and you don't think letting him play t- out his contract on reasonable wages and and having him leave as he's turning 32 wouldn't have been a nice little compromise there given that we're not going to get any money for him now but we've doubled down on that <laughs> i think it's neat on paper but then you go to what was the point in time Right. And it was uh, Arteta just arrived. He, he'd had six months. We were playing well. Uh, Aubameyang was the team. He was all the goals. And you can say, oh, well, would you like to do that for us for another year? And we'll pay you. But you think, well, is that really how how a dynamic in a team gets built with the most important player? Um clearly signaled to leave the club you know it's it's the heart and you know what you're doing right you're you're giving me the reasons why they felt okay to do what they did i fully fully were reasons 
What I'm saying to you is if you're disciplined in your process and you accept that putting a 31-year-old striker on huge wages into his 34-year-old season is a mistake, then you just go with your discipline, your process. Again, I'm not saying these are idiots who did it for no good reason. You're absolutely right. Yeah, but my point is we didn't have much. Yeah, we didn't have. Yeah, we we didn't have. We we did what we did because we had a weak hand. Yeah. Um, we did. We didn't have a good process. I mean, look look what was going on at the time, right? Uh, people people were about to get the axe. Other people were wondering where they staying or where they going. I mean, it was a cluster, right? It was just it, these are not the kinds of circumstances in which you 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 make the best decisions. And I understand why that looked like safety. The only thing I have against that is I really got really have the sense that Arteta wanted this regardless. Um, it's more a question of the club saying, look, we're not going to pay him 350K a week and we're not going to sign up for this. We want you to go to Sven Mislintat around the corner, who's who had recently departed. Well, not recently, but in the history of Arsenal, recently departed. And we want you to work with him to go with another option and to spend that money in other ways. And we'll give you the time and the support. But, I mean, it seemed very clear to me that regardless of circumstances, Arteta would have wanted him. But the club, it's more a reflection on the club, the director of the football, director of football, and not really Edu, but the state of that position. We had Raul on the outs, Edu on the ups, maybe if they kept him. Uh, it was just a mess, and the club said, "Oh, okay then. Uh, let's let's not create any more chaos. Let's give Arteta what he wants. This was his main pick, and they supported him on it. Do I like it on paper? If we had our shit together, no. Yeah. Uh, a a good a good club that has its shit together go, spends that money differently. But but that's not where we were at at the that Fair point. Enough. So I I, I, I think get, and and look." I don't necessarily disagree with a lot of what you said. I think you're kind of like, I can explain to you why I chose a plate full of raw oysters at the all you can eat buffet. But mm-hmm. I can also tell you that it was wrong. <laughs> you know, So like, I mean, there, we're never dealing. So if you're you, never uh, dealing with idiots. Let me put this way. This if you were the crankies, and, if you were the cron- the cronky crankies, yeah, they tend to be at that particular last summer, would you have, denied him Aubameyang. Yes. And I pretty much was on the record that I would have, yes. And I and I think Yeah, but you weren't the Cronkies. No, no, I, I would have denied him that. Yes. If it were your club, well, you I mean, no, okay. because the Cronkies don't know what they're doing. But I think if we had a strong director of football personality with a really clear vision, if we had a a, a Manchi, you know, who we were in for, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah then yeah. I absolutely You're, think you would have said Nope, this guy can play out one more season. It'll be fine. Let's move forward yeah. from there. But you know. basically, yeah, agreeing. that's true. This is always how our arguments go. Um, so let's do this. <laughs> I want to get to the most important section, the the part everybody can't wait for, which is what we got wrong and how we admit we're wrong. Now it doesn't sound like Paul is going to do that, uh, which scares me because I I really hope he will. Um, I have a lot to choose from, and I'm trying to decide which one to choose from. Some of you may feel the one that I chose I'm right about would have been a good candidate for being wrong, but. What I'm sure you'd like to hear that I got wrong is about how I got a manscaping issue wrong. Well, 
I got bad news for you, friends, because you can't go wrong with Manscaped because the products are too good. I have tried. I have tried to shave things into me that shouldn't be shaved into me, but you can't even mess them up because the, the Lawnmower 3.0 has such a smooth action. It has such a good motor. It has the skin-safe technology. Now they get the Weed Whacker, which does the nose and the ears too. I'm going to tell you something. Look, when you look down and your pants are off, you know if you need the Manscaped products, but it's harder to see your ear hair and your nose hair, and the problem is other people see it. Now, right now, nobody sees anything. Probably on Zoom, you can blur it a little bit, retouch your face, it's fine. But the pandemic's going to end, and when we run into the street and drop our pants, we don't want to look great downstairs and then have bad ears and nose. That's no good. So this thing... This is the package. It's a performance package. It's right now. You get 20% off. You get free shipping when you go to manscaped.com and use promo code ArsenalVision. Couldn't be easier. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off and free shipping. And you get a free tote for your toiletries. You get free uh, boxers that I wear all the time. They're great. You get the Lawnmower 3.0. You get the Weed Whacker. And then you get their hygiene products. Um, And by the way, they partnered with Alex Caruso. They're doing... um, a promo for the testicular cancer society. And you know, you talk about a perfect marriage of brand and cause they're going to take care of balls. Well, this takes care of balls in a serious way, not a haha funny way. Uh, testicular cancer is obviously a major issue. I think virtually everybody I know has been touched by cancer. Someone in their family, uh, hopefully, you know, uh, came through it okay, not always the case, and I'm sure some of you listening have even been personally involved with it. So this is a good cause and a company aligning themselves with a good cause, and it's great to see. So lots of good stuff here. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off and free shipping. Get the performance package. You get your nose, your ears, you can do your chest, you can do your, your privates, you can do all of it. And when the pandemic's over and we run in the street and we drop our pants and we see each other's beautiful privates, we will also say, my goodness, your nose and your ears look great. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision. Um, I don't have Clive to ask if that's enough. So, Tim, I will simply ask you, is that enough? Quite enough. Quite enough. Good cause, though, right? Charity? Cancer? Very much so. Very much so. much better than that. We have an announcement about a live event uh, with this pandemic hopefully over soon. And uh, that'll be coming shortly. So, very excited. And hopefully we'll see many of you in person, which would be absolutely incredible because we love you. And uh, we'd love to love you in person. Uh, to the extent that you will allow us and in a non-creepy way. So uh, let's move on from that and let's get to the blockbuster section. Uh, How about I kick it off? Because if there's one person who knows he got things wrong, it's me. So we're going to do the part we got wrong, or again, not necessarily got wrong, but starting to think we were wrong about. Now, I had a couple of, I'm going to go with honorary mention. I was pretty anti the Pablo Marie deal, you may have heard. I'm starting to think that that's going to work out okay. And again, I think he had a bit of a mare, to be fair, against West Ham. But I think he looks like a player and a player that we're okay to have. Fine, set that aside. The bigger one, the one that got more opprobrium from the listeners, which is really what my specialty is, is uh, having the listeners dislike me so that they can focus on liking the rest of you guys, um, the Thomas Party thing. I was going to pick the party thing because I wasn't sure about the party deal. The fact is, as a player, Thomas Party is even better than I expected. I always thought he was good, but he, he is the kind of player who could be transformative. The reason I'm not picking that opinion is because his injury track record so far and the kind of spotty performances, again, when he's playing well and he looks fit, my goodness, he's exactly what we need. But again, he'll be 28 next season, and if he has another season where he's only mostly available and can't play as much as we'd like and is a 60-minute player, then you do start to 
to get in issues. Now, to be fair, I never expected that to be the problem. He had no history of that prior to this. So it's kind of an easy out for me, but I'm not picking the party thing, but I want to at least acknowledge here on this podcast, I have been incredibly impressed with what he does for us. I think his performance against West Ham was lost in the Odegaard magic. He was sensational. If he plays 35 games for us next season, he's going to be right there to be player of the season. So all for it. Now, the one I'm going to pick is the easiest one because it's the biggest one. Go back to Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year, except not in the middle of a pandemic, and not when Arsenal are sitting near the relegation zone, having scored 13 goals in 14 games. I was Arteta out, and I was wrong. And I felt very strongly that he had been here a year, that his underlying metrics were no better than Emery's, that his results were worse, that what he had done is made us a slightly better defense, if better at all, at the expense of having any attack. That he was not playing some of the talented youngsters he could, or he was using them wrong, that he had frozen out Ganduzi, Ozil, and Saliba. I was down on a lot of the things he was doing. And ultimately, what I said is, here is a very dogmatic guy who just will not come off his principles. And his principles are dull football that doesn't work. It makes us slightly more solid at the expense of any attack, and we don't get results. Now, he had won the FA Cup, so that was sort of a big, big thing I had to consider. But it was games against bigger clubs where we played like a smaller club. I mean, I've seen Wigan win the FA Cup too. And something magical happened on Boxing Day. He starts Smith Rowe. He starts Martinelli. He goes to a back four. He plays the 4-2-3-1. We play well and win, things we weren't doing at the time, hadn't won in months. And then he sticks with it. And he abandons that dour back three. And he goes to Aubameyang up front at times, and he starts putting players in positions that are natural to them, that suit them. And we start, forget winning. We start playing well. The process looks good. And since Boxing Day on XG and XG difference and all that stuff, we are right between the second and third best team in the league. Now, we'd like to be the best team in the league, but I would submit that for a team that was by metrics near the relegation zone, to become the third best team in the league almost literally overnight and to be in the quarterfinals of the Europa League, you know, we should be there to be fair, but, you know, we didn't get there last season. Yeah, I see now the kind of coach that I hope to see. And remember, I wanted Arteta. Our least popular podcast of all time is Emery Pod number one, where Tim and I went pretty big on hating the appointment of Unai Emery. And people were mad. Mad enough that we did an I'm sorry version, Emery Pod number two, to say, well, maybe we got it wrong. Hear us out. We're actually kind of hopeful. But no, uh, it was... It was unpopular, but at the time I said I wanted Arteta. I wanted the ceiling. I wanted the young guy who'd been trained at the the foot of one of the most talented, intelligent managers in football, and we got that guy. And for a year, through the pandemic, through the challenges of the squad construction, he muddled around a little bit. Maybe the players weren't ready to take on board the instructions, but when he clicked, my goodness, it has clicked. And I felt we were much less than the sum of our parts pre-boxing day. But I feel we are now, at a minimum, as good as the sum of our parts and probably slightly better than the sum of our parts. And you give him players like Odegaard and you see what he can do. So I realize there are some people that still say, oh, what, you're good with losing to Wolves? You're good with losing to Villa? You're good with being 3-0 down to West Ham? I am not. But I've always said that I'm going to look at process over results. And I want to be honest and do that consistently, not just to protect my own priors. The process looks excellent post Post Boxing Day. So, uh, uh, Paul, 
I'll volley it over to you before you get into what you got wrong. I mean, is that enough of a mea culpa? And I, I realize there's some people that will hate it because they'll say, what? You're going to be pro Arteta now? You were my guy to be anti Arteta. I, I can only work with what he gives me. And right now he's giving me the kind of football that I was hoping we would have seen earlier. Yeah, no, that's a pretty good mea culpa. In fact, I'm thinking, thinking I'm going to have to dig a little deeper on my side to well, maybe uh, you just haven't gotten have stuff that wrong. Intestinal fortitude. <laughs> yeah. No, it's. Uh, uh, I mean, I think you covered it well, and and it does kind of relate to to where I go with mine. Uh, but no, you did. You took it on the chin there. Um, I mean, it, like you and I talked a couple of times. I'd throw out the people mm. saying he couldn't do attacking coaching. And I didn't even think of you. Um, so I was surprised when you said in advance of this that you were going to kind of address that. I'm like, well, it, you know, there were other people who were much stronger on he can't and he never will kind of. He just isn't. So I think this is a really interesting thing, right? Because there was a lot of, oh, well, maybe he's more moist than pep. Do you remember all that mm. stuff? And then it leads to this conversation about when he plays Moyes and Pep, this is a different conversation, but he gets into the mind games and he kind of like, he, 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 he tries to be clever rather than to win. He, tr you know, he'll change things rather than keep it simple. And I think uh, I made, made a joke about it on Twitter, but it wasn't a joke. Like he can't unknow what he knows. If he's going into a game with Pep or with Moyes, he knows way more about their process, their approach, and can't help thinking about it in a way. My joke was, like, once you've been through your girlfriend's text messages on her phone, you Wait, can't what? unknow that. <laughs> yeah, you, are, you can say, I want to behave the way I did before. I read through her text messages, but you can't. Mm. Like, Arteta cannot go into a game against Pep and just play the way game he, the way he did in the previous games before it, or he would if he didn't. Like Moyes and Pep, like if he were playing Wenger, there, there's just certain coaches he can't play the way he would or did normally play against Pep. He knows too much. Mm. He knows Pep is in his basement for three days, scheming, coming up with tricks, He's going to do something different for those two point, those two kinds of coaches. Now, how does that relate to what you said? I can't really remember. That but doesn't even basically, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, um, like you, he he's he can coach attacking, and until the toothpaste got up the the tube. But I guess I didn't I didn't have you down when, as one of those guys who said he he didn't know how to it. I think you had a question about it, but I don't think. You, don't think you were categorical on that aspect. No, and to be clear, Paul, like I, I never felt that he couldn't coach an attack, but I felt yeah. that his sort of dogmatism, his his adherence mm. to the principles of not wanting to be open at the back, of of creating that that solid yeah. spine, that solid that solid backbone, was that he was so determined to do that that he had developed a blind spot for how turgid the attack had become and that I think he believed he could f fundamentally win creating a couple of big chances and keeping it tight. And that worried me because the, the, the math doesn't work on that and the history doesn't work on that. That, you know, when you have seven shots and an XG of 0.8 and the opposition is an XG of 0.7 and you say, I'm going to try to win that way. And we didn't win that way. And, you know, luck ran a little against us, but the metrics weren't far off it. And he changed. And to his credit now, I mean, even in that West Ham game, once we got to 3-3, 
we didn't sit back and, and accept it. We went to try to win games, and that's what we're trying to do now, and I, I'm, I'm here for it. Tim, do you, do you want to add anything to that? I mean, I, I, think, I think that covers it, but ultimately, you know, it's funny. I, I, I was never off Arteta because, exclusively because of the results, but to be fair, there are people who even right now are off Arteta because of the results because they would simply say, mm-hmm. find me another big club manager that could be languishing in ninth and get another chance. And that, you know, if that's where you're mm-hmm. at, I disagree on process basis, but I certainly acknowledge that I, I'm not, I can't really think of another club of our stature that would stick with a manager if if he finishes the season in eighth or ninth. And again, you've just heard me say that why I'm on board with him, but I think the people that would disagree with that at least have a fair argument purely from a results perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I'd say I didn't quite get to the. I, I was close to the. Oh my God, we need we need to just we need to just accept that this has gone wrong. And, yeah, and move on. I I didn't quite get there. I was I was maybe one more defeat away, to be honest, or at least one more like indifferent or bad performance away. Um, I but at, at the same time, I wouldn't say I'm like totally like yep, okay, this is this is all going to be great. I'm I'm still not sure, but um, I guess the thing I'd say to myself is that. Um, I, I wanted Arteta as well, and you know, it, this is this is his first ever managerial job. Like, I think you've kind of got to at least like, if you've taken my position that you wanted him, you've kind of got to accept the rough with the smooth. And I, I can you know, I completely like I, I, I to your point, Finish Elliot. It's perfectly <laughs> fine. People saying, well, pff, I don't really yeah. care about that, and I don't think the Arsenal job should be um, a kind of you know, uh, uh, an expert, yeah, yeah, or like, yeah, yeah, exactly a finishing school. So, um, I, I'm, I, I guess I'm back on board to the extent that I'm curious again, um, about where this is going. I do think it's trending upwards. How far it will trend upwards, I'm still not sure. I'm still not convinced. I'm to be convinced, put it that way, that Arteta will get us back into like the top four on at least a regular or semi semi regular basis. I don't know. Um, I think he can definitely get us to six, but I think I, I think some of my issues. I just I still would like and a bit more experience around him, whether that's executively or at coaching level, um, a coach that has actually been a manager. Um, one of those things, I, I still think he is inevitably going to show inexperience in the transfer market and with stuff like substitutions, which we've talked about. And I would just really like someone to be there to offset that because I understand he will make those mistakes and I think the club should understand it. And I kind of, I understand from his point of view that he's out on his own and he's looking to make his reputation and he doesn't want to, you know, go cap in hand to someone and say, help me make substitutions, please. Um, Although it's not just about substitutions, but do you know what I mean? I I would, uh, I'd probably settle for one of those things, just an experienced appointment on the coaching staff or better still, I think, an experienced hand on the tiller as an exec, someone who will push back and say things like, um, nope, we bought William Saliba, you're the superstar coach, if you don't like him, coach him. Um, Otherwise, you're telling us that Mm -hmm. you don't think you're good enough to coach him. You know, someone just that little bit of pushback and that, and that's just a hypothetical example but do you know what I mean like all that kind of nope we're not signing a Bamiyang up for three years you can either sell him now or you can keep him for one more year and lose him on a Bosman that kind of thing I, that that's what I'd like I think 
Yeah, because then he'd be in the position to do things that might help him yeah. too. I mean, ultimately, and he doesn't have finding room for Martinelli at striker yeah. or Pepe at striker or Pepe out wide because he didn't buy Willian or you know. I mean, just again, yeah, I agree. I think if he had if he had a strong vision above him rather than just being turned into manager from the start and he could concentrate on what he's doing now, which is some damn impressive coaching mm. in my view, that feels like and, the right solution. And it's not like he has an awful lot of leverage. Like, he's not going to, at this point, he's not going to walk out on Arsenal and get this job. Any, well, he, he will get it somewhere else, but not at this level. You know, if he, if he leaves Arsenal tomorrow, um, and again, this is all hypothetical. I'm not saying this is going on behind the scenes. I don't think it is. But let's say someone like Edu said, look, you're doing really well, but we just think we want to reinforce... Um, somewhere with one more appointment and he doesn't like it i mean where's he gonna go <laughs> so the crazy thing is think about this tim can you even think of a club in the first tier of english football that would give him the power that he's been given by one of the biggest clubs in english no football? no exactly so yeah so yeah why where's he gonna go can yeah. i add on that um because I think yeah, it's please. really interesting, because I was thinking about this recently. I think he has loads of leverage, because what are we going to do? Like, the one guy who has, who is unshakable in his view of himself and his decision-making in our club is Arteta. They can't, they're not going to fire him. They've got to work with him. It's like the whole half-pregnant thing, right? Mm. W- w- the if he were a weaker individual, if it were Emery, if it, then I, I'm I'm with Tim 100%. But this is Arteta. He, like, he'll just tell him to, like, the guy is hard as nails. And I think we're starting to see that. He in himself is unshakable. And unless you're willing to bin him and the project, he's. I think he's got a surprising amount of leverage because you look at who's up against him, right? We know it's kind of weak sauce all around. Um, at the end of the day, uh, there's one guy with the cojones and the vision. It might be a flawed vision, but it's a vision. We'll find out over time. I actually think he probably has a surprising amount of leverage uh, in the situation and will get what he continue to get he, what he wants as he goes along for good or bad i guess I, I mean all i would say is if the Cronkies woke up and decided to say to arteta we realize we're a sleeping giant and we're going to start paying and we're going to go spend seven million a year to get ragnick to be a director of football and that's just that and you're back to focusing on coaching like i don't think arteta would leave and i don't think he'd have much of a choice but they're not going to do that. I'm just saying I that the reason think, he has leverage is because uh, we have absentee. Owners, I don't right? think, uh, like to Tim's point about bringing an experience around him or an experienced coach, I think it's too late. You know, that's if, if that's how you set it up, uh, Arteta is a tough guy. I think you'd... You think he'd leave? If, you, if they said we're bringing in some, you know, really big name in, in football, not not... As a coach, just as a director of football, someone who would replace Adu, but really take a technical director role that was boss of Arteta, that was over him and in charge of him. You think he'd leave? I think they would. They, being the crankies, would look at that and say, uh, uh, "Oil and water aren't going to mix here. He's not going to take it. He's not going to. I don't know if he'll go now or in six months' time. Or, but we might just be putting the nails in this project." Wow. 
I, I hope you're wrong because if that's the case, I think we're fucked because I don't no, think Andrew's up to the you job. You might be good. And I think we are because I don't think Arteta's up to we're the not job fucked. either. I think we might be. Well, fucked, here, let, let me just say it this way. Anyway. Well, can, like, can I express like, my opinion though, or no? Is that not cool? <laughs> like, <laughs> I just want to tell you why I think that <laughs> because I think ultimately, um, look, Arteta is in his very, very first job coaching. And has no experience operating in the transfer market, which is getting harder and harder. Budgets are getting tighter and tighter. Competition is getting bigger and bigger because more teams in your own league have money. More and more teams are using analytics so that the hidden gems and the diamonds in the rough are harder to find. You've got to be much savvier about what you do. And he's got a guy with very little experience working basically in parallel with him in Edu who hasn't worked in this market. And Arteta's never worked in this market. And the idea that in addition to being an excellent coach basically from day one, he's going to be an excellent operator in the market from day one when he's never done that. I mean, you can learn coaching as an assistant, but you can't learn how to operate in the market until you've really done it. I think the idea that we don't need someone who really knows what they're doing to, to manage these these rough waters, I think is a little too optimistic. And I mean, well, well, maybe it works okay. out, sure. But if we want to win a title or win a Champions League, Paul, if our goal is to maybe be fifth or fourth, it might work out. If our goal is to do a Liverpool and win a title and win a Champions League, I struggle to see these basically newbies navigate this market with the budget constraints we have and build us a European you champion. You have branched into a different conversation, though, and I agree with you. I think you'll remember just leading into Christmas <laughs> that I was all for a Rangnick. <laughs> the question is, yeah. does Arteta have leverage with the Crankies? He mm. does. Like, the, the idea he doesn't, like... It's like the Obama Yang discussion last summer. You can say, "Isn't leverage though built on leverage? Leverage? <laughs> I gotta use my own accent. Isn't leverage built on having alternatives? Like, isn't that real leverage? Is if you do this, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah but what's his? I'll do that. You're talking about what's hypothetical what, what alternatives that, like, the crankies are not going to get in Rangnick. They're probably not even thinking of it. You're thinking if you ran the club. We wanted Manchi. We did want him. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know we were yeah, in yeah. for him. But that was before. So it's not like they. That was know. before Arteta. Like sequence but matters. But again, where, where? Well, hang on. Let me just ask Tim for a second because us arguing back and forth while we enjoy it, I'm not sure everybody else does. Tim, super quick because we need to move on here. Um, do, do, I see leverage as being if you threaten to do something to me that I don't like, I can do something that you won't like that prevents you from do, right. Like yeah. I have, I have a a move I can make. That would prevent you from doing a thing I don't yeah, like. I mean, he he could quit. What is what is Arteta's move? He, he could right. just. Quit I mean, he could quit and then but, say, I, I mean, I, and go back to working I for mean, Pep. Yeah, like, I mean, well, look, Barcelona. I, I guess the Barcelona jobs there because Barcelona are, are idiots and they've been through pretty much everyone. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 could quit, and I I wouldn't. I, I do see what Paul's saying. I wouldn't necessarily put that or past he could, him. And I, he could say no, right? And now they got a yeah. real problem. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He could I, say I, no. I don't want this new guy in. Now what do they do? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and also in, in a way, I and I was, has he earned that? Has he guys? Has he earned that? No. I, look, and I just told you, I I think well, he's great. Our- has he earned the ability to say to the owners? I'm so great sitting here in ninth that you can't bring in a Ragnick because I I He doesn't have to say it quite like that. But remember, you're talking about a scenario where you're the owner, Elliot. You're not. It's the Crankies. But wouldn't that be great? It would, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And and in that situation, I think he has lots of leverage. Okay, I get it. I get what you're saying. I do. I, I and I'm not. By the way, I'm not just trying to be argumentative for the sake of it. I think we're we're fundamentally sort of we'll arguing end up over. We agreeing if um, we go long enough. <laughs> we're fundamentally arguing over a nuance, which is you saying that that he doesn't have leverage in my hypothetical, but my hypothetical isn't reality. Reality is the the, the Cronkies as Cronkies, they operate now, Edu, and they don't want to upset yep. the apple cart now. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, all right. So so let's do this. Since we're at the hour mark, I'm sure you guys don't feel super strongly about what you got wrong nearly as much as I do, which could be, you know, we could be on volume one of that. Uh, so why don't we do sort of a, a speed yeah. round real quick on year two? So, so Tim, you want to give me what you, what opinion, again, not that is wrong, but that you're starting to rethink yeah. it and potentially might trend towards being saying you change your mind. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so probably the whole, um, not playing Willian on the left thing. Now I like, I, I still think if you want someone to do that job, by someone who does that job <laughs> don't just go oh yeah well William's available and it's really easy and I think he can probably do that um, I still think that's really really like miserably bad process um, but at the same time I probably went too strong on it um, just because I like I like William or I liked what William did at Chelsea as a right winger um, if you've got the right structure around it and you've got a left winger like Hazard or Neymar and you want someone to like hold the width of the pitch and involve the right back and everything like I, I think he's always been good at that um, the whole like him playing on the left thing I, I probably went too much on it just because I liked mm. what he was doing on the right when he played well but I and and with the system mm-hmm. that Arteta's playing, where he has two inverted wingers, um, I, I kind of think it's gone all right the last couple of times he's played there. I, I think my broader contention now, to be honest, is just that Willian shouldn't play. <laughs> yeah. Full stop. Um, he, he hasn't been terrible in this left-sided role, but I mean, I think we're, we're going from quite a low bar. Um, I also think that having two inverted wingers eventually becomes quite predictable because you end up bunching everyone into the same space. I still like having one inverted and, and one who kind of stays. Um, but I I guess on the back of the last few performances, I don't quite... In, in this kind of system that Arteta's playing where he likes both of his wide players to come in field a little bit, I don't hate it as much as I did. Um, I'm not sure that I'm definitely saying I was resoundingly wrong there, but it's it's something I'll chill out on. But I still think we have a bunch of better players to to play that position anyway. Well, you you could be wrong about using him on the left being a mistake without being wrong about acquiring him being a mistake. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, exactly, so like, yeah. of course, acquiring him was a mistake, and I, I don't know that anybody anybody is left that would say otherwise. But I agree with you that I think he actually sort of works on the left in this new system that we're using, especially where it seems like he really wants right footers on the left and left footers on the right. Um, I realize having said that, he did the opposite for West Ham. So what do I know? Paul, I feel like Tim has set you up beautifully to agree with his what he got wrong because I know you think we have massively underestimated uh, what William has done playing on the left. So before we get to your what you got wrong, do you want to just... 
Just want to wax poetic about the, the genius of William? I'm going to keep it short because it might turn into another Kalasinach, which is he was good once, but it was a false one. Look, I thought <laughs> I went and had a really, really good look at him after Benfica, after the second Benfica game. And I really thought he was low key, really good in terms of how he played for us. But that could just be me. And it was just one game. And I was, I was actually surprised he didn't play against uh, Spurs uh, just because I thought that worked for I'm glad he didn't in the end. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think there might be hope for Willian. And uh, we could go into a much longer version of what I think he brings. Because uh, um, not you guys, but when I argue with him over Twitter, and also maybe you guys, um I think people miss the point of a William, but he's certainly, you know, our if our best players play their best football, he's a squad player. But I, I kind of get him now what what he can give us on the left. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think the, people the, the tyranny. Yeah. Can I just can, the shortest version of what he gives us is that the tyranny assist that wasn't an assist in the first leg against Benfica. If you think of the plays he made to get us there. Um, none of which were exciting in themselves. Dropping into space from being in a pocket a little further up and knocking it to, Ch- to Chaco, knocks it to Tierney, making that run ahead. It's all very unexciting stuff, except he's so dull and ploddy. In a game like the second Benfica game, where he does that all the time, moving into those little pockets, the simple pass, he doesn't beat anybody, he doesn't dribble, but he carries. He's actually kind of an interesting little dull boring player that doesn't catch the headlines mm. basically yeah he he stands where arteta wants him to stand yeah. and that's why arteta is talking up his assists it's not because and we look at them and and it's not like an urzil or fabregas through ball but Ooh. i think what arteta would um tell you over a pint is yeah okay like the little pass five-yard pass for a Bamiang for the assist at Burnley. No, not an amazing pass in and of itself. But when he was picked up the ball, he was standing exactly where I was telling him to stand. And that's why he had an easy pass. Yeah, it was the right pass. The best example yeah. of him caring where William stands is bringing him on at halftime for Martinelli against United. Yeah. Um, because Martinelli hadn't done anything wrong particularly. But he was shouting at him in the entire first half, not being in the position he wanted him. So we just brought on a guy who would be. The passes aren't super exciting, but they're the right pass. Uh, and uh, like the Tierney pass is a quick decision. It's the right decision. It's a good pace. It's not an assist, but it was the right bloody pass at a critical point in the game. We couldn't waste a possession. You know, that's that's William. He's You can call it safe, but it's smart. It's the right pass at that time. Squad building is tricky, right? Because like a player can play well and still be the wrong player to have signed. Yep. A player can can play okay and not receive the plaudits he deserves because of reasons related to his wage or his transfer fee. I mean, if Pepe cost $12 million, we'd be going crazy about the steal he was. I mean, if Pepe was 24 years old and doing what he's doing, we'd say he still has potential. I mean, everything is relative. I mean, Barcelona should have sold Messi, if they could have, this past summer. Yeah, It's not because Messi's bad. Turns out he's still fantastic, but... For them, they needed to move on for reasons we could get into or shouldn't get into because who cares? The point is that squad building is complicated and isn't always as straightforward as players good or players bad. So, um, Tim, yeah, I think that's fair. I'm still not on board with wanting William at the club, but I do think that what he's done on the left is better than maybe we had 
suggested it could be. Uh, Paul, you want to finish up strong with what you got wrong resoundingly? Yeah. Um, so, like, I'll take a suggestion a from you guys. Um, out of interest, I'll, I'll I think when you said that Arteta has leverage against the Cronkies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, horseshoe passing. Um, like, you always had a major issue with it, Elliot. And it used to get on my tits because <laughs> I quite liked the shape of it on those, those, those plots and graphs. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't have enough of a problem with it. I didn't. I knew what it signified and I knew what the problem was. I didn't know it enough and I didn't see it as problematic enough. W- once we started playing with the 10, like it was fine for me talking about toothpaste and getting it off up the tube. But how exactly? Um and we saw the horseshoe under Emery and under Arteta, and it just ended up in banging a bunch of crosses. And I found that less problematic than it should have. I was waiting for the kind of uh, the magic pixie dust to transition this into the next phase where we became an attacking force. And there's we now see, and the West Ham game is a really good example of it because we take them up the right, up the left, through the middle. You always said, I don't have a problem with crosses. Hell, Man City puts in crosses like all the good teams do it. And we would argue about this. Well, I'll give you, I will enlarge your point in this respect. Look at two of the goals we score against West Ham. Look at the Callum Chambers cross that turns into an own goal. And look at the Lacazette cross from Pepe. They're both crosses. But look at how the ball gets to Chambers. It's from Odegaard, deep center, top of the box, right in the middle of the pitch, penetrated pass coming from the central space that totally frees up Chambers to be on his own in the wing. And then again, the Pepe one, a genius ball from Odegaard, I believe, again from a central space that leads to a cross that leads to a goal. So two goals, Paul, to your point, that are from crosses. But the crosses create a lot of a much more difficult problem for the defense to solve because of the way the ball gets there from deep central spaces. Is that a fair a fair yeah. distinction from how we used to do it where it was all overloads on the wing to one guy in the box? Yeah, and it was more more crosses and more up the wings. Mm. And if only we <laughs> yep. gave it more, and I'm like, um, you know, with the, without changing the passing pattern, like a horseshoe, is pretty and defined and like look at that curve and man are we leaning into something but there was no path to my toothpaste uh, and it relates to maybe hanging on to em- being okay with emery a little longer than i should have and then conversely you know i might have turned on arteta sooner than i should have but on the other hand arteta came into this it, it relates to Arteta too in that he came into this season without a 10 without an attacking mid and I guess they were okay enough him and Edu to come into the season without a 10 and so that's on those guys too but I didn't realize how they should have realized before I did but I should have realized at some point that uh, we were going to have a problem without a 10 and then ESR comes along and it's a revelation and suddenly you're like Oh, fuck. Okay. Just rewatch the second half of West Ham and watch the ball go from party to Odegaard all those times, and you see what a little centrality of verticality in the middle of the pitch and, does to a defense. It's, 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 it's crazy. Yeah, go ahead, Tim. Sorry. And to be fair, uh, they did spend the whole summer trying to buy an a hour from, from Leon, yeah. uh, or, 
from from Leon, and literally on the last day of the transfer window, went right. We're not getting him. Let's go and get Thomas Party instead. So, I, I kind of get that. I, I guess I'd say, Paul, with with regards to your points about um, how quickly you turned on Emery and Arteta, I think the the beautiful thing I learned with Emery is if you're against the appointment from the day it happens, eventually you'll be proved right. Yeah, and that is the position I will take with all managers henceforth. <laughs> It, it's like yeah, it's, it's kind of like right? the bears who say the the stock market's going to going to fall, going to fall, going to fall, and they miss like seven years of fifteen percent returns, yep. and then it goes down ten percent. They're like, I told you it was going to fall. <laughs> yep. You're always going to be right eventually. Uh, and on that note, since we're all always going to be right eventually, I'm going to be right that this podcast is over. Thank you so much for listening. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Woo-hoo! Love you. Pause. Uh, Tim's on Twitter. Roberto. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. I want to thank Clive from the bottom of my heart for just not ever having been wrong so we didn't have to stretch this into a longer podcast, which is great. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I think it led to some interesting conversations I was expecting, wasn't expecting, some interesting arguments between me and Paz, which is what everybody looks for. But Paz and I uh, adore each other, and I'm happy that he is uh, now safely vaccinated. Um, so good stuff there. And congrats to you, Paz. That Very is great. Much. I hope to do that myself, hopefully, hopefully in the near future, as I hope those of you listening will as well. So be safe, be happy wherever you are. We'll have more content for you throughout the interlull, including some stuff on Patreon where we hope we'll, we'll uh, convince you someday to sign up. Or conversely, if you don't want to or can't, we just hope you'll stay here because we love you. And a big, big announcement coming about a live event. Again, it'll be just far enough in the future that I think it'll be safe. We'll make sure it's safe. Of course, that's paramount. But assuming it's going to be safe and clear to do it, a chance to all see each other in person. Wouldn't that be nice and compare Manscaped private? So with that having been said, live shaving event. Yes, we love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool nil. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.